So if I wanted class, I would have gotten the Bronte sisters. Right. <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> Welcome to One Fucking Hour. Uh, I am Evan Husney. Uh, joined, of course, by my two dudes here. We got to my left, we got Tom Fitzgerald. Tom, sup? Hey, just another day in paradise, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and to my right, um, the first person to my right, uh, who's usually here except when he's not in Ireland, we got Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, what's going on? What's up? Just happy to be here, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you. This is not court ordered, right? For you. Yeah, right. I'm just lucky okay, to be here. Yeah. 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 Right, I'm right, just right. lucky to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. House arrest, nice Marcus. Um, all right. And uh, today we uh, we have a very special guest uh, with us all the way to the right. We got an old friend of all of ours yeah. here, uh, a former colleague to me, actually. Uh, we have Mr. Lars Nilsson, of the, uh, a film programmer from the Awesome Film Society. Lars, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm here, but I appreciate you having me on the show. You guys are doing an amazing job. The chemistry is perfect, and then I'm just going to fuck everything up. No. Uh, it's going to be a disaster. We're going to no. do like three hours retakes. Um, no, it's great to have you. You're, you're on like the top of our list, basically, for guests. We were just like, and then we got to get Lars at some point. You know, so it's glad, I'm glad that it finally is happening uh, with this film. That's um, true. We, we were pointing out last week great to have that we, we were all we all know you from like different decades and different yeah. places. And yeah, it's we're funny. All converging yeah. right here. It's funny. Yeah, yeah, we should we should we should sort of cover that. I mean, you know, Lars and I used to work together at the Alamo Draft House uh, in one of those and decades. I, and I met you from I met you uh, from Birdemic. Like I think that oh, was boy. the first time we met, right? Yeah, I think that's you and, you, you and James. You were kind of James's. Uh, well, you know, you're James's assistant, let's face it, you know. Handler, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, handler on, on Birdemic. And I think that was the first time I met you. And then you kind of came into our world and became part of the uh, sort of draft house world back in the actually, day. Actually, Lars, I was actually yes. James Wynn's um, Peter Falk, actually, is more what yeah, I was. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, oh, which, shit. which we'll get into. Uh, but and then now Tom... This, this, now this is going to be an interesting podcast. Actually, yeah. I have the same story. Um, Birdemic screened at the theater that I was a programmer at, <clears throat> and um, you were there, and I was in the, the projection booth, and then I look over, and I'm like, who's this fucking guy in the projection booth? And he has like, <laughs> I mean, not, I was, I'm kidding, but just like, because you were doing something with like your brother or something, and I had no idea who you were. We had, we like, had robotic, right. we had robotic birds right. time to deploy from right. the ceiling of your theater. And I yes. was like, it's all good. Let's get down. <laughs> Tim and Eric introduced the film. We had like this thing where it's like one million dollars, and everybody. Uh, I, I was supposed to hit strobe lights and right. stuff, and so there was all this, you know, um, chicanery and uh, stagecraft. And I was just like, "Oh, this guy's great," because we were kind of we were sort of uh, projection booth buddies for that time. And I was like, "This guy's cool." But enough so about me. How do you know Lars? But how do you know Lars? Not me. You know, just uh, more of that. The uh, theater that should not be named. No, I'm kidding. No, but like you know, I was a head programmer at Cine Family in Los Angeles. And then there was just this synergy that just kept growing right. between uh, the whole Austin scene. And I don't know, it just, you just, you, well, you're well, going to meet. I can tell you, I, I have a, I have a very direct memory about how we, our first discussion on the phone. 
Um, when you're working at that cinema that, that cannot be named, uh, the, the person who cannot be named uh, had asked me to come by and maybe do a series. And then he's like, but, yeah, but first I wanted to kind of put you on the phone with Tom to kind of talk with Tom oh about, about some of the movies that you might choose, you know. And, uh, and um, yeah, you got on and you kind of you kind of grilled me a little bit, I got to say. Like, because you were kind of like, yeah, no, we don't want, you, you know, I want to be sure we don't have this kind of afros and shotguns type. Oh, shit. yeah, that's me. Movie, I'm sorry. You know, and, then, and then I was like, one thing I was thinking about was uh, sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things. And you were like, yeah, well, you know, even that is a little bit kind of a cliched kind of grindhouse kind of thing. I did? I <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> no, you were, you were really sticking it to me. Like, it was like, you were like Lars, father of the bride kind of in a way, you know. I was Lars, can you be on every week? Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. this is set in stone. I was just protective of the quote unquote brand because yeah. no one else was. And so when there's strangers, you know, I'm like some kind of uh, viral, you know, thing where it gets in your body where there's a virus that's threatening and like red blood cells, white blood cells or something. Yeah, white yeah. Blood cells. I was yeah. the cop white blood cells of Cine family. And so I was just like, who's this fucking guy? And I was like, no, maybe, sure. But then it was great because you picked uh, the Wild Man Steve movie. And I was like, all good. So I remember that. Not that call, but yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, and at the like, it really was like, who who is this fucking guy? And that's totally fine. I mean, I get it, you know. I just didn't know you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this guy's out of Texas. I remember, what is this? No, yeah, I remember trying to bridge the gap, trying to like, you know, make peace between the two worlds. Like back at that time, being like, no, but Marcus, cool. I've, not, I've known you. I've known you longer than any of these. That's incredible. <laughs> It's like 20 years or something. I think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so funny. Because you were, you were like, you know, I mean, we can say it. You were homeless uh, in Austin at the time. What? Right? Well, wow. I mean, I was. More or less. Yeah, pretty much. And I, Some breaking I, I was, news on one fucking hour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was sort of an early hanger on, like at the draft house back in yeah. the old, um, right. you know, okay. in Weird Wednesday. It was like. A vagrant? We, we, weekly. We've got a long history of. Trusting Lars, going in to watch a movie that I don't nothing they know nothing about. You know, I've got a long history of that. Like mm. tonight, but um, so I'd always see Lars like uh, we, I'd always go to the movies. And I wanted to meet him, you know, and I always see him around town. With, like he had like really long hair back then, and I always covered oh, yeah. his eyes and just sort of, like too, not yeah. making eye contact with anyone walking down the street. I'd always see him, but I don't know if you remember how we actually became friends, Lars, but. Yeah, well, you let me uh, a tape of Terror on Tour, which I gave back to your friend Thomas, but nice. you never heard that I gave that tape back to Thomas. <laughs> so right. It was like 15 years later or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like 15 yeah. years later, Lars returned my tape. But I went to go see him at Half Price Books, and I was like, hey, I got this copy of uh, Terror on Tour if you want to borrow it. <laughs> and that's how Amazing. Became, uh, that's how oh, that's and, awesome. And I have to say, like, don't, don't ever lend me anything. Like, I, I, mean, I, I mean, you got your tape back son of a bitch but don't ever lend me anything like if people come up and say oh man you got to read this book i'll lend it to you i will say do you want to give me this book because you can give me uh, the book if you want to but don't ever lend me a book because no, i'm not going to read it on your time frame if i read it i might read it 20 years from now you can yeah. give me the book but i'm not going to borrow the book well don't sell it's yourself fine if you don't lend it to me he did give it back you know for everyone yeah, yeah. that ever loaned it but it sounds like it back, so. there was a thomas <laughs> connection which can be a little dicey that's what I'm in here. Yeah. I gave it to Thomas 15 years yeah. later, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. That All was great. Right. Motherfucking God. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. There you All go. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. Amazing. Really. Yes.
I love so that Marcus wins. Like, dude, it was 20 years. Like, yeah. I love that. Amazing. Wow. Well, we're going to have to get into more of your homeless years, too, on the show at some point. Um, oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Carve out an hour on that. Yeah, yeah. seriously. One fucking hour on Marcus. Um, all right. But let's get down to tonight's uh, tonight's uh, episode, episode number 33 of the show, guys. It's going to be one fucking hour on Robert Aldridge's, excuse me, um, All the Marbles from 1981. Guys, I'm going to start that clock. Oh, here we go. Lars, <clears throat> meet the clock. All right, here we go. All right. Starting. Meet the clock. We only have an hour to talk about this movie, guys. So. But there's four of us. So oh, like we can talk really fast. We can talk really fast. We can talk really fast. <laughs> God. All right. To a bad start. All right. Let me, let me fill right. the people in on this movie because this is a fucking forgotten-ass movie that I'm sure not many people have ever seen before. <clears throat> so All the Marbles is the final film of the legendary old Hollywood director Robert Aldrich and I read someone refer to it online as, I, I actually kind of like this, they uh, refer to it as an out-of-gas road movie um, starring Peter Falk um, as a gruff two-bit uh, pro wrestling manager named uh, Harry, Harry Sears who attempts to maneuver his female tag team through the impoverished and nefarious maze that is the wrestling business, burdened with the dream of making it to the big time where fame and fortune await. Um you know, one thing we, you know, for me, pro wrestling is a big part of my life. Uh, I make a documentary series uh, about it for TV. So I actually somehow skipped over this movie, you know, for years. I've been a fan of wrestling for so long. And this movie, I never quite, you know, felt like I should watch, <laughs> you know, to be perfectly honest. And when did you um, first see it? I first saw this actually last year. It was kind of like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to finally do it. You know, uh, Peter, because I love Peter Falk. I, I absolutely like sure. fucking like Mikey and Nikki is my shit. Um, oh, dude. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a yeah. rare breed of the folks that actually like husbands, like like the experience of watching husbands. I, yeah. I you know, sure. take your hand off my hand. Take your hand off my hand. I mean, I, I love that shit. I love him. So the fact, like, yo, why didn't I watch this? Peter Falk, like, as a wrestling manager, this is amazing. So I watched it, and I actually really... Um, Doug, uh, how researched this movie was, which we'll get into about what life on the road in pro wrestling was like back then. So I really appreciate the detail to that. Somebody must have been involved in this production who was really feeding them the, the right details. I also it, it love say, it. I'm sorry, it does say that in the credits, right? We're gonna get There's to like, that. Yeah, yeah. We're okay, get to that. so that's you yeah. I got it. a whole I got a whole spiel on that. And I also just love how it is a uh, and this is the last thing I'll do, and I'm gonna throw it to you, Lars is. I just also appreciate the hell out of the fact that, as a wrestling fan too, that it is uh, a kayfabe movie, as we say. It is a film that um, is not get, bringing you in on the secrets of wrestling. It is keeping up appearances that this is a legitimate sport. And I would like to think the folks involved in the movie, like Robert Aldrich, weren't smartened up, as we say in the wrestling business, to what uh, you know, to, to the inner trickery of this uh, whole underworld, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So it's presented as a legitimate sport, which is really fun. Um, but hey, uh, this movie has some you know dramatic shit too, and some uh, and 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 which we'll get into. But Lars, you brought this movie here. Whether you remember that phone call, any of the phone calls that either of us have ever had together, um, you brought this. Are movie Are you gaslighting him, Evan? I am saying that. And Evan suggested this movie. No, He's fishy here. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm Evan. I'm Evan. I'm sure. Now we talked about this beforehand. I'm sure I suggested this movie, but I didn't know how this kind of, you know, became the one that we were going to do because 
this is, and I love this movie, and I, I really do. Uh, and this could have been one of like 97 movies that, you know, that I love this much um, because I okay. love a lot of movies a whole lot. But um, I have to take I have to take issue very quickly with you calling Robert Aldrich an old Hollywood director. He was an old director. He did work in Hollywood. But calling Robert Aldrich an old Hollywood director, I think, somewhat sort of minimizes who okay, he was. Okay. Okay. Um, because like when I think of old Hollywood directors, I think of like, you know, uh, Edward Dimitrik or Richard Fleischer or like these kinds of guys who were like, yeah, no, these were the guys who were there and they were doing the work like Robert Aldrich, like take a second and just think about kiss me deadly, you know? Yeah. Back yeah. True. credits. Like what a fucked movie. One of the most true. fucked movies ever. It is um, true. You're right. Take a minute to think about whatever happened to baby Jane. Sure. Fucked movie. Fucked movie. Yeah. Um, and then, you, you know, you go on like through his work and like Dirty Dozen didn't just happen. Like a guy came out and made Dirty Dozen. Um, and you look at this movie, you look at a lot of the sort of really the best movie, like the Grissom Gang, unbearably violent film. Like some of the stuff that he had done, um, the Emperor of the North, for God's sake. Yeah. It's like this was a guy who was a really personal filmmaker. And yes, he worked in Hollywood. Uh, but he made extraordinarily personal films. And okay, fuck me. Is, fuck me. Fuck me. Yeah, right. And fuck it, me big time. his whole route to Hollywood <clears throat> is also really fascinating, which I'll kind of go into, um, which is, I mean, he was a, a scion of a billionaire family. He was a Rockefeller. You know, he was from hmm. a family that had Chase Manhattan Bank. And all anybody ever needed for him to do was just to say, yes, Papa, I will join the family business. I will join banking. And he would not. He refused to. He said, I want to get into movies. His uncle, who was like the the head manipulator, said, great, I'll get you a job as a producer at one of the studios that we have money in. And he said, no, no, I just want a job in the mailroom. So he got a job in the mailroom at RKO. And he literally worked his way up. He did not accept any help from anybody. I mean, this is a guy who really wrote off billions in order to do this, to work his way up in the mailroom, to work his way up to work as Jean Renoir's assistant director on The Southerner, to work wow. as Chaplin's AD on Limelight, to direct Chaplin when Chaplin was on camera, to, to learn so much from Chaplin from Jean That's Renoir. some old Hollywood well, shit, though. But yeah, go on. It, it is, but these are, not, these are not the old Hollywood hacks. I mean, this is old no, Hollywood... Yeah. Yeah. renegades you know and he was a renegade right. among renegades while bill Wel wellman he worked for him you know as an ad so um, right. he had that okay. chance to really kind of rise in the ranks and then he made television he worked for like dick powell and blake edwards like he he, he directed blake edwards script and worked closely with blake edwards so there was like a, a really kind of uh, amazing sort of ferment that was going on that produced uh, robert aldrich and i mean i really think that if a guy made kiss me deadly and then died in a car crash we'd be like, holy shit, that was the dude. Yeah. You know, yeah. but because he went on and he made all these other movies, some of them hit, some of them not. He made The, the Longest Yard, which mm -hmm. is an, an enormous hit. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, actually, believe it or not, was a giant hit. Totally. Uh, Vera Cruz had been a big hit. I don't know if you guys have seen Perdita Durango, um, uh, the Alex de la Iglesias film based on the uh, um, mm -mm. Barry Gifford uh, novel, but like, Vera Cruz is at the at the center of that, and it, it has like all this sort of counter sort of cultural cred in Vera Cruz. So he had all of that, and he was not just sort of like a normal schmo. Um, and this movie, really, for him, came out of his association with another iconoclast, uh, Abraham Polanski, who had made uh, Body and Soul. And oh yeah, uh, yeah, love that. And yeah. and which which were amazing movies made by like these communists who got kicked out of Hollywood as soon as it was figured out. Well, he worked very closely with them and he throughout his life quoted Abraham Polanski in this film. 
uh, is stars Peter Falk is very much kind of like a John. If John Garfield had lived, this is almost like John Garfield, body and soul. Had he lived, you know, yeah. continuing his story arc, you know. Um, so you see that happening uh, in his work, and this is he he called it a semi remake of uh, body and soul. It's not exactly other than it's about some of the same themes, but that theme, that Polanski and theme uh, and, and uh, a theme that he also used when he worked with Clifford Odets on the big night, Clifford Odets gets name checked in this, of course, uh, was, was really in this film. It's like maintain, even though you're going to lose, the bastards are going to beat you down. Even though you're going to lose, maintain your sense of self-worth and you may, you never know it, but you may like gain, a blessing is, is what he is. That was a quote from Odette's from the Big Knife screenplay that he had um, written. Yeah, for, that is a running theme. Um, yeah. Just an overarching one. The uh, I don't remember names, but the brunette uh, uh, California girl. Vicky, you know, right? Vicky or Vicky, Victoria? Vicky Frederick. Vicky Frederick. Vickery. Well, the yeah. actress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she, she, she really just spells it out and says that after the, the mud wrestling incident mm. that she was she the scene, the uh, the, the scene really lingers and the film kind of hits that beat really hard where she's like that was my dignity they were laughing at me you know and uh you know i thought that was you don't see that every day no. someone who's hurt by their lack of dignity and their loss of self-esteem and uh and actually it, it's paralleled in the filmmaking because i was reading that aldrich insisted that uh, the two california girls um show their breasts because they were they were concealing them yeah. The first one, the mud, the mud fight scene. So I just thought it was kind of duly, it was somewhat ironic, where the director of the film, who's you know having as a mouthpiece this this actress saying that uh, she she felt like she was uh, being ridiculed and lost her self esteem, is had to reshoot the the scene in question <laughs> yeah. where her breasts were clearly lingeringly exposed. So I was like, okay, you know, it was. It, it was I I think it's it was kind of part of the deal for the financing of the film. You know, I'm sure at this yeah. point is like Aldridge could barely get a film made at this point, having had so many flops. Can I say something really quickly about that scene, just because we've arrived at the mud wrestling thing? <clears throat> um, I just want to touch on it, because th that really is a, a pretty, like when I was alluding to that the, the film gets a little dark for a minute, um, I think yeah. it's, it's really that moment right there. And that's what I kind of appreciate about this movie is that it went there, because w one of the things to me, so uh, obviously this movie goes like it's it's you know peter falk and the two girls on the road they're going to shitty places all over you know rust belt america unbelievably shitty places yeah which like we ohio touch on. yes we will we will like ohio yeah. and all these other fucking shithole toledo places. toledo right which is like very the, the kind uh, of towns the kind of towns that the band x would shout out <laughs> in like one of their songs you know right, what i mean right. Totally. Like Gary, Indiana, you know, you know, what I totally. Mean. And that's very Some evocative folks. of the lifestyle of territory wrestlers back then. You know, when before wrestling was monopolized by the WWF, you know, you you had all these little fiefdoms all over the country. Region, that, regional. Yeah, very regional. So it's, it captures that lifestyle of the grind on the road, going to these shitty bingo halls and having to do matches and whatnot. And that captures this very, I think, spot on. But the the mud wrestling thing is 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 especially a great choice because you know female wrestler female wrestling historically you know uh, all th throughout the history of wrestling you know has been mostly presented as something sexualized and fetishized like a like a sideshow freak show you know even even the WWE um 
like in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, when American culture was super fucking girls gone wild and shit. That's what it was. I mean, that's what it was. And there are many cases of women wrestlers throughout the history that just wanted to fucking wrestle. You know, they just wanted to get out there and they wanted to kick some ass and they wanted to, you know, take names and the industry wouldn't let them. You know, it, are they uh, saying that be, be, this is I'm the novice guy completely. So help me out. Um, their male counterparts, were they feeling like this? Were they feeling the same thing and that the clown show aspects of wrestling like they were they roll their eyes like I'll deal with this because what I really want to do is wrestle because I feel like that doesn't sound very genuine. Either, well, you know, like not like, as a not like as all a spectacle, right? No, I mean, it is. But like in terms of like, hey. There's a there's a dark side of the ring episode out there if you guys want to watch it about a wrestler oh. named Luna Vachon who is a, a very well known female wrestler who 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 wanted to just wrestle and be a part of wrestling and the and the athleticism of wrestling and be respected by her peers as a wrestler but no she had to get in the ring and like show her breasts and she had to like be sexualized yeah. and fetishized and and all this stuff and, right. and and she was never given those opportunities by the powers that be to just fucking wrestle and that and that but how does that relate to the to the circus of the male pro wrestling i don't really quite understand that like well, I'm like saying what, that they appreciate like their doesn't. strength and yeah, and their, yeah, and their performance, their move, you know, performing, their not just their like bodies and gotcha. like it's all relative. Well, like yeah. for for yeah. for for male wrestlers, they just get to go in there and simulate an athletic competition, and one guy wins a belt, and the other, you know, and and it's the art of pro wrestling, you know. But for women, they can't but practice fluorescent light bulbs over their heads. So, well, that's a different okay. subject. All right, yeah. but that's a different. That's different. But I know I, I understand your point. Yeah, and so it's even lower as the far as far as being a geek show circus act for for the female wrestlers. Yeah, compared to well, the it's, it's it's different. I, I mean, I think it's like a it's like a chance to see lovely women in their leotards, you know, or yes. not so lovely women saying. sometimes in their leotards. You know, it's basically like it's a it's a it's a break from watching the, the right. theater. You know, these girls in this movie they want Side to get show. out. And they want to wrestle. They want to get out there, and yeah. they want to perform, and they want to, they want to be athletic, and they want to win these belts. Even though the movie is in, you know, kayfabe, it's not. It's you know, it's not a. They're not. Ex, you know, we're not. I love in, that. We're not inside the business. The secrets of the business. Because I bought these, the whole thing. Yeah. Like this is interesting to say that though. What you said initially was, um, I was buying it as a legitimate competitive sports film. It, yeah. I was following the narrative where it's like. Um, you know, like, uh, boy, you guys, you, you did a great match tonight, man. That was awesome. Where, of course, what we all know and what I should have kept in mind is that these are all fixed completely. It's staged and orchestrated. Who wins, who loses, how they lose, how they win, right? There's a great time. line. There's a great, oh, sorry, Marcus, go ahead. It's such an interesting choice to do that, to like, to not, you're doing something that peeks behind the curtain and shows like how it's all done, but you're not actually doing it. You're still buying into the like, well, the circus of it. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting choice to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like you almost would go into it with your own. You never take the the wool off your own eyes or something. It's interesting. But well, yeah. it's it's Absolutely. you know 1981, right when this movie is being made. Wrestling is still very protected as a, as an industry. Uh, you know, and 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 we'll talk about the technical advisor of this movie later on. But it's still a guarded sort of thing. You know, so. Uh, Chances that, you know, a participating professional wrestler to consult in this movie would not have exposed the business in 1981 still even then. But but just you know? to be clear, just for, for the dummies on wrestling yeah. like me, it's yeah. like when we say that it's still guarded, the secret, 
is very obvious. But I mean, there's the, the, the fake moves during the matches, you know, like it's com- it's composed, you know, but also a lot of it is or it was all fixed, was it not in the sense of like, well, you lose you lose next week yeah. and then I win. And that means that people will like me a lot and then I can turn on you and then they'll all turn on me. Right? But, but sometimes some, right? sometimes that storyline would get broken. Sometimes okay. the work would get broken because somebody would just be fed up. And there's uh, I'm sure there's a technical term for that, for, yeah. for breaking out of the work or for not not cooperating, not uh, not it's going called- along with the sell. It's called going into business for yourself, yeah, which we'll talk yeah. about. And the idea... Well, I guess they did yeah. actually do that, right, in the film. They actually do, like, the... Right, when they, the when second they Toledo. The Toledo the, when they wrestle the Toledo Tigers, they say, like, hey, we were supposed to win. That's our right. out there. Well, no so one's supposed to win. To. Well, no one's supposed right. to win. It's loose, loosely. But still, that's still, like, kind of blurring the lines, you know, I think, for yeah. 1981, okay. which I appreciate. Yeah. You know, so, like, we're saying that this film sort of, like... Like if you did a backstage film about like magicians or something, but right. but then you claim that like you pretended that magic was real, right? Right. Like that. Right. Exactly. I, I, that rabbit didn't exist one second ago. It's just right. here. Like, he can disappear. Yeah. And also, I want to I, I want to make the point that I think that Aldrich probably didn't care that much about wrestling. Yeah. Care more about wrestling than Robert Aldrich did. What Robert Aldrich cared about was <laughs> taking show business down to its molecular level which the molecular level of show business in theatricality is probably like Midwestern, like uh, Rust Belt wrestling. Like that is the molecular level of show business. That's as, as far down as you can go. I mean, I think he cared enough about wrestling that he was not going to put some bullshit product out there. And the wrestling matches look amazing. They and do. the two actresses are unreal, unreal as far as how good they are at wrestling. Agreed. Um, so I, I think that he just would not put a shitty product out there. But I'm not so sure that he really cared that much no, about wrestling. Nor, nor could he have imagined that like 40 years later they would be like grown men taking this shit so seriously. <laughs> but I will well, say. I so it was, it, was, it was the last kind of vaudeville play for 1981. Like the yeah. kind of like, I wouldn't like, even uh, say vaudeville. I mean, I think I think Circus Maximus. I mean, circus. I think it's like. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like it's a long, long discipline of performance. Well, can I can okay. I say that? Okay, you say he didn't care about professional wrestling, but I'm going to counter and say that I actually think he cared enough about professional wrestling to present it in an authentic way because he made both of those his lead actresses fucking train and yeah. Oh, yeah. really fucking train and just so, to, to be clear they just they, they could have taken re- women wrestlers yes. and said act but instead they made the choice which i yeah. think was a good one which was hey let's find two actresses who then can train for two months and right. do these wrestling moves and i think that was really helpful i think the uh the woman i got no names the blonde woman is passable as an actress but the brunette woman um vicky whatever it, it, I, that's a good performance yeah and she's she was uh she worked with Fosse. She's a stage actress and performer and dancer. And yeah, she was part of uh, Bob Fosse's entourage um, doing uh, the, the musical dancing and something else. And she's also seen very briefly in all that jazz. And that's a fine performance. If, if I may could... throw in that, um, just to, to Lorraine Landon's credit, her part was chopped off. So originally oh. she had a whole character arc where she had been molested as a child. She had lost Whoa. all of her self-esteem and she's finding this, she's finding her fight um she's fine she's finding a way to get back into that and she's a lesbian so all of that right. is somehow not did not make it into the final movie that's a lot. That, it was not she's shot. just, a, she's just yeah. a pill popper in this film yeah 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 which i like, found um 
just below the level of like a typical um, after right. school special. Sure. But it's all good. <laughs> like, you know, uh, the, the representation of her drug use. And, uh, anyway. That's interesting, they're though, because, yeah. Go ahead, Marcus. I was going to say they're both dancers, right? That was sort of the, the connective tissue. I don't know who was. Laureen Landon, Laureen Landon is, was like Larry Cohen's girlfriend. Uh, and she, I mean, oh I, I'm not sure if she was quite Larry Cohen's girlfriend at that point, but later on well, she was. And she, uh, yeah, she did a lot of sort of more athletic type uh, acting. I have a little tidbit on her. She, <clears throat> she actually, uh, in that interview that's out there, uh, which I'll link in the description of this video, she, uh, it's, it's actually a great read. She, she was in police academy, not the movie, but actually training to be a cop. Oh, okay. and, oh. and, 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 uh, sorry. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> it is. she was, she was, she was going to be a cop, but she was uncomfortable with the idea of fucking, I don't know, carrying a gun around and having to kill people potentially. So wow. she, she stopped being a cop, got into acting and modeling, and then got the opportunity to go to Las Vegas for a, uh, I don't know, some call. Went there, heard they were casting for a wrestling picture, and she wanted just to get in on it. And to her credit, they had this really grueling training because uh, they, they were trained, uh, both the lead actresses were trained by one of the most legendary, actually probably the most legendary women's wrestler of all time, Mildred Burke, who I have a whole fucking hour on if you want. Um, but anyway, they were trained by her and uh, the SAG writer's strike that was going on right around that time happened during their training. And instead, and this is when they're auditioning tons of different girls for the part. And instead of everyone pausing during the SAG uh, 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 strike, they kept going at it and, and, and training and wrestling like real wrestlers and just going for it. And, and, um, and uh, Lorraine, um, she actually attributes getting the part to sticking with it for those weeks or months or whatever it was during that strike, just wrestling every fucking That's day. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool because like, you feel like a lot of times people don't save enough time for like rehearsal. You know, It sounds like they just rehearsed it until it was like spot on because the wrestling is like one of the best parts of the movie yeah and she said choreography of the wrestling she said that like you know that 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 she got to the point where you know the matches she was having during that time were all you know improvised you know and she's really becoming a wrestler you know to do this you know she's not just telling you know what a stunt person or even you know the director is sort of blocking for this like they're fucking wrestling i I heard vicky there's a quote that she has maybe you've seen where for the final match she says uh i forgot that we were making a movie yeah, you know, I was in that ring and committed, and I wanted to win. And that's you can awesome. feel that, and that's that is cool. That is cool. Yeah, and you, and you sense that. There's also one little fun thing, and I'll shut up. There's this really fun anecdote too about um, uh, um, about Laureen, where during one of the several auditions, while she's you know doing the in ring stuff, she was wrestling in front of some MGM executives, and she was wrestling, and she fell out of the ring, and she actually broke her foot uh, during this simulated or during this match. And she broke her foot, but she still kept pushing through the match. And they all thought that Damn. that that she was selling, as we say in the wrestling business, the actual broken foot. That I mean, or she was selling that she had like a fake, you know, foot injury. But she was doing it so well that's you know that they gave her the part. But she was tough enough that she stuck it out. So, and I and I think that comes across. I think her toughness in this movie, uh, who she really is, does come come through the screen. I think if if I can, because I have. So little to say. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, I thought about this immediately, and it was re- one really refreshing thing about the film. We talked about this briefly before we started taping. Was uh, it passes the old Bechdel test? Yeah. Uh, 
and maybe can you just briefly define that someone just to help listeners? Well, it's 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 the idea that you know uh, w women in films. Well, just like you know, women characters in films. Well, three roles. Not, no, no, it's, it's three roles. Right. It's three roles. It, uh, does it have more than one woman? Does it have two or three women? Right. Do the women talk to each other? Right. <laughs> independent of any male uh, performers, and do they not talk about men? Right. And that. That's it. And so a lot of films don't, but it clearly passes. And I found that really interesting and refreshing. They, both of them have no love interest at all. Well, sorry. Uh, Vicky's character obviously has a history with um, Peter Falk, but still, it's only tangential to sort of like their, the sure. larger theme of their relationship and everything. But my, but my point being, it was great to see. It's these two female characters in 1981, right? Okay. Pretty neat through all time, right? Actually, when the Bechdel test was first established through this comic book, but uh, they're talking about uh, their, their, their wishes, their fears, how they're hurting, how one's on drugs, and one's getting off drugs, I want to stop doing this, I'm broke, and I it was really refreshing, so kudos for me on that, you know, alone. Totally. It's not, it's, not Beck, it's not Bechdel test related exactly, but like, uh, after the mud wrestling thing happens, um, and before the shower scene, um, there's the whole the part where they feel betrayed, you know, it's like, Many movies would have just like said, oh, we had a wacky mud wrestling thing. Isn't that funny? We went through that. But but the women talk about it and they talk uh, about yeah. how betrayed they felt by yeah. their, you know, somebody that they trusted and that this, this it wasn't what they were all about. And he's hurting and he's feeling it. and He's really reading it and he's receptive to it in his own sort of prickly sort of. Uh, post-war World, World War II like 20th century yeah. kind of way, well, you know, you know like what? He, he's, I'm, he's I'm, receiving it. I'm liking this film. A this Everything went up just one notch. Did you hear that? <laughs> you feel it in the room? I'm kidding. But one thing I'm responding to in the film beyond the Bechtel test is it's a quirky family and that can work in films. And I can really respond to that. It's this strange sort of slapped together family, you know, the unit being very strange. And uh, obviously, you know, it's the plot of the film. It's these two women not related who are uh, sort of related to this father figure, but he's not even quite a father figure, but I just found, but they're, but they're, they're a family and forward and they're trying to make shit happen. So I like that. I guess I like their interpersonal um, uh, relationship overall throughout the film. It, oh yeah. And it, felt, it felt again, refreshing. I'll just say that again. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, and there's another theme to this that is, is, even difficult to, to detect if you've watched it multiple times. And I'm not sure, I might call bullshit a little bit on this theme, but um, Aldrich did uh, claim that he had made this movie as kind of a reaction to Ronald Reagan getting elected. <laughs> uh, to the artificiality of this president slash actor, this artificiality of show business oh, kind of entering into our lives everywhere. Okay. And it's if you can look at it, it's kind of all over the place. Um, he shows the MGM grand... Uh, logo a lot, not because I think he's making a film for MGM, because I think he's in some way sort of chastising MGM for getting into this kind of low business of casinos. Oh, interesting. Um, also, uh, there are show tunes throughout the film. The song "That's Entertainment" plays. Um, "Oh, You Beautiful Doll" is played. You know, plays during a really important time. So all of that happens. Also, um, on the subject <laughs> of music. Um, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot of meat on the bone of what the whole thing I just said about Reagan and everything, but it is huh. interesting to note. But uh, on the subject of music, they ride around listening to Pagliacci. 
Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and that, that that is another sort of subtext of the film. Uh, Pagliacci, the comedy is over. Um, in, in a lot of ways, Aldrich didn't know he didn't he he had not accepted. I think that this was his last film, but he may have known it on some level that this was his last film because he had just had flop after flop after flop, and it was apparent that Hollywood was changing. That a guy in right. his 60s who had just made all these flops in a row hadn't had a hit since. Can you name yard. some of them? <laughs> like some of walk the us through that he had made. Like between um, Longest Yard and, and this film. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to have to bring this up on my phone, which is going to oh, take okay. up well, valuable seconds. Oh, that's um, okay. But, but yeah, like, <laughs> well, just, well, just to be... two minutes <laughs> left, guys. Yeah, dude. Let's... <laughs> no, 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 but just... You can remember one of them, because I'm actually blanking, like, like, what are we talking about here, you know? Look, movies you've never heard of is what I'm saying here. Right, that's what I oh, want. Hang on a second. I want to, I want to wonder if okay, you're making them up. Right. No, no, hold on. Let him, let him, like, give us like three or two or one, just to just okay. to sketch out the um, point. Okay, where this so guy... Longest Yard is in '74. Right. Da, da, da. So we got that, and then we go into his next movie after the Longest Yard. And boy, when I tell you what this is, oh, <laughs> look at your, look at your face. Wait. Okay. 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 So, hustle with Burt Reynolds and Catherine Deneuve, oh, which I've seen. Shit, dude. Which is not very I've good. I'm afraid it. to say. You, you have uh, seen Twilight, it. Okay. Twilight's Last Gleaming. Oh. Uh, with Burt oh. Lancaster, which dude. I've seen and Dog. which is pretty pretty interesting, but doesn't work. You know. I agree. Uh, the, choir, the Choir Boys. Oh, oh shit! The Wamba adaptation. Uh, That's a repugnant like, film. It, like... it is a repugnant <laughs> film, but but because it's. Because it's, it's Aldridge, I kind of think that there's something going on, you know? That's yeah. interesting. The, the Frisco flaw. Kid with uh, Gene Wilder oh, and Harrison Ford. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. no, hold on. Full stop. Harrison Ford travels with a uh, Hasidic Jew played by Gene Wilder across the Wild West, <laughs> and hilarity ensues. And, and box office bomb. Yeah. Frisco. Yeah, but, but before, before, even before the longest yard, and then that takes takes us up to all the marbles. But even before the longest yard, before that, Emperor of the North, a Ooh, great, right. great film, a great Fun, film, yeah. but a film that nobody wanted. Yeah. Um, Oldana's Raid, nobody saw it, nobody wanted it. Burt Lancaster, uh, uh, Vietnam uh, allegory western. Yeah, the Gr the Grissom Gang. Remember when you first saw the Grissom Gang when you were a kid? <laughs> no, you don't. Um, I'll never forget it. God, he made a lot of movies. So, I, I, you, you painted a great picture, and uh, I'm going to have Frisco Kid Nightmares tonight. <laughs> Too Late the Hero. Too Late the Hero before that. Cliff Roberts and Michael Caine. Oh, Lila uh, Claire, too, right? One of the big bombs well, of all time. Well, before that, The Killing of Sister George, which is kind of a hit, you know, sort of. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't not a hit. Uh, Legend of Lila Claire before that, which was not a hit. The Dirty Dozen before that, which was such an enormous hit that it allowed him to build his own studio, um, which he ended wow. up going bankrupt on and lost it because he made all these oh, other flops fuck. so he's bomb I mean, bomb bomb hit uh for yeah yeah time. and before that flight of the phoenix which was i probably did okay hush hush sweet charlotte which had been for for texas like which that. is an exact it's a terrible film um <laughs> and then before that whatever happened to baby jane which was not a money-making hit exactly but it was a hit you know it was a phenomenon. Um, and yeah like it, you go you go back and there's just like there's uh uh right. Cruz was his biggest hit prior to that Wow. Okay. God, so many films, this guy. So you said yeah. that, you know, he sort of knew this was his last film in some ways. And obviously he had to because because he had had all those bombs and the, the, the climate had changed and he could see it. The climate that allowed 
filmmakers to make you know uh, yeah four million dollar bombs you right know, but he also but he also passed away shortly thereafter making this movie um, yeah. but one thing I I read which I actually dug quite a bit is that he did have plans for a sequel to this movie because this right. movie. <laughs> This movie was a, a, a bomb here in the states. I think it was. But but guess let the panel guess where, in which uh, country it was a hit. Unfortunately, I know. Okay. Okay. Uh, they were following the uh, well, the bad news bears path. Yeah, so it yeah. was uh, California girls in Japan, you know, and uh, California dolls go to Japan. Yeah. Or dolls. Yeah. Uh, but hey, that's that's. But, but also, but hey, Japan, I see. Well, well, hey, but wrestling that was—I mean, so wrestling is a, uh, Japan is the second largest, you know, wrestling country in the world, and it's amazing too because it would have been perfect. And 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 the idea of when there's that Japanese wrestling promoter or guy or fixer who yeah. comes into the locker room early on is like, hey, these these girls will be great over in Japan, and that's what they probably would have done, you know, in 1981 too, which I think is I think it's cool. I, I would like to have imagined uh, same here seeing that. Why don't you write some fan it, fiction? I, 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 also, it's not it's not um, a small uh, calculation here. I, I heard an interview with Cheryl Ladd one time where she was talking about why she's so big in Japan, and she was like, "Oh, they love white girls over there." <laughs> oh, God. It's true. <laughs> um, it's true. Well, can we? This whole book's on like Jodie Foster. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like you go to a Japanese bookstore. No, like just, Olivia Hussey is like the biggest star in the world. Still I was just gonna say yeah, that yeah. I have yeah. a Romeo and Juliet booklet from Japan. And it's just one picture of Olivia Hussey after another, and uh, it's like that's the topic of the book, you know. And it's like, <laughs> the runaways, it, right? And she's not at all, po- what? Ooh, and she's not yeah. at all popular, you know. Uh, Olivia Hussey, you know, they make it seem like she's this enormous international superstar, but only there. Um, so can we? Uh, can yeah, we talk please, about? Um, can we uh, talk a little bit about Peter Falk in this movie? Um, Absolutely. Let's. I not, mean, let's not. Uh, maybe uh, you know one more thing. What's your one more? Well, one more thing. Hold on, hold on. Uh, what's stupid. your <laughs> what's your guys's favorite uh, Peter Falk moment in this movie? Uh, for me, it's did you get me a three musketeer? Did you get me I a three musketeer? I love that. I and um, love all his um, I love all his his musings about the wisdom of Clifford and Odette's. You know, oh yeah, picking them up like, as Clifford and Odets would say, it's yeah, better than right. sticking a pencil in your eye. No, he says, you know? does, doesn't he say that his father was taught to learn to learn English through reading Odets and um, Will Rogers? Will uh, Rogers. So it's like Roger yeah. and Odets, and then the girl, okay. yeah, yeah. when the California Dolls gets it wrong, he goes, "Who's who's like Rogers Odets?" You know, and yeah, which is kind right. of because she's been listening. Yeah. yeah, I know. My favorite yeah. moment of his—that's um, hard to beat. Uh, how about he like kicks a lot of ass, you know, like, uh, like, um, like, Morning. remember, like, okay. Trashes the car. Yeah, yeah there's that. Well, also he Cigarette beats up machine. those guys who are going to rip him off. Yep. Oh, there's a lot. That. Yeah. He's like love him that. and his bat, you know, but <laughs> okay. Let's get ready, guys. One thing that really threw me off in this film was suddenly it was like soundstage like when he's being um, approached by the two guys that are going to rip him off after the, after the card game, it suddenly is like, you know, like a Burbank lot. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. And it looks like Night Stalker. But then also every one of the backstage, like, you know, like getting, uh, you know, like working on your sores and pain. It's all that same kind of um, really creaky, like 50s, 60s set. 
like Mission Impossible yeah. kind of thing. And it really takes me out of the film. I, you know? I felt that too. Like when they're in the motel room and stuff and like um, there's a scene where she's knocking on the door outside and the, the lighting's really harsh, like really hard shadows, like stage shadows, but she's like outside. And supposed to be the it's like, sun. It, it's yeah. that TV lighting, TV stage thing that happens. And, and it's weird because it's like, you might forget about it, except for there's all those cool driving shots with like really long lenses Ooh, and stuff. It's great, and right. beautiful. I read that those were the comparison um, is jarring. Yes, yes. I read that those were shot by his daughter. I like, did second unit, so I'm guessing oh, cool. that's what she oh, shot. Yeah, it makes sense to yeah. me. So, um, all that stuff looks great, and then you compare like all those like yeah. horrible cityscapes of Toledo or whatever, and then but then compare it to this like shitty Burbank stage or whatever. Yeah, no. Yeah, so like, that threw me I, I, off. I think what you have there is a, a certain amount of loyalty from Aldrich to his the people that he'd worked with forever, you know, and they, oh. they would light things just so, you know, I mean, don't blame the sets. It's not the sets fault. You know, it's the fault yeah. of the lighting. It's, it's yeah. having the ability to light like all this set stuff you know brightly and for three dimensions and all it's, that and that's uh it's not yeah, the sets it's the lighting you know yeah i looked up that dp and he's like he goes way back to like yeah, it's a yeah. wonderful life you know so yeah, like they yeah, lit yeah, things yeah. a lot different back there's then. a great there's a lot of rules that makes sense drop I get later there's on. a yeah. there's a great really shitty set moment in this movie too when she's taking the shower you know after she comes back from sleeping with is it burt young right um yeah, and or, and right. she goes in to take the shower and she's crying. Or it's after the mud wrestling match. I can't remember. But she's yeah, crying yeah. and then she she bangs mud her. She, she yeah she bangs her fist on the on the shower and, and the wall the shakes. Goes, yeah, like, yeah. Oh and the, wall the, shakes. Wall, yeah. the wall shakes like it's a, it's a sketch move. like it's a sketch comedy yeah. show wall. That's, the, that's yeah. the worst scene in the movie. It's the most dishonest. It's kind of an authentic scene in the movie. Right. And you know it, it's cut down to the bare bones. It you feels know? like it. Yeah, they get yeah. it. They they just get it out of the way. How about, yeah. but, we weren't, but we weren't talking about Peter Falk. Yeah, yeah. How about, sideliners on, um, how about, how about the set. Sorry. How about the uh, how about the Peter Falk moment where he's like, uh, you know, when like the girls are running and he's driving in the car. I got an idea. Yeah. How about you dye your hair, but yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You dye your eyebrows. You're gonna dye your yeah. hair under here. It's dye gonna be bright right colors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, and they reject that. I was that. watching yeah. the Cisco but I mean, but Ebert classy, review. Classy and, colors. Yeah, classic. <laughs> That's the clip they pulled on Siskel and Ebert too. Just to I know how much they hated that. the film. You know, let's get, I, I, really I, hate, I I watched that clip this afternoon because Evan sent me the little clip of them how they both Siskel and Ebert hated the film. They both I vote no. I hate Siskel and Ebert so much. I hate them. They're the worst. They are like the consumer reports, you know. They're like, we right. help you make informed buying decisions, yeah. you know. Like you're, like, you're like, yeah, like you know what? You're not spending your dollar well by yeah. seeing yeah. Yeah. you know. Like, go spend these, that five bucks somewhere else. You know, get these, some ice cream. These schmucks are like Peter Falk has made a new movie. You know, it's it's like, and then they they go into like the whole thing, and it's like. And and then Cisco even who's like I don't know who's worse this Cisco or this Ebert but Cisco even is like now you you see most who's gonna let you believe that these beautiful girls would be wrestlers because most of the female wrestlers you see are kind of chunky kind of big and chunky that. wink wink he yeah did. yeah he did um, Jeez. Uh, you know Cisco and Ebert is is sort of the the. The, the, the twin patron saint of the show. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with them. I grew up with them. Of so course, I would hear too. about, yeah, so like, you know, I only knew about Taxi Zum Clo when yeah, I was 11 right. years old because they are like my dinner with Andre. So, 
it's the reviews don't matter. And I actually did just watch their Bertolucci's Luna and it was so dismissive. It was like, wow, you guys are less than middle brow here. Like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, this is how dismissive they can be, but whatever. They also supported Herzog and stuff. So the only but time and I don't the, know if they got this film wrong that much in my humble opinion, but I obviously disagree with them, especially uh, big boy a lot, you know? Well, the only, the only, the only time <laughs> for me, <clears throat> the only, and Tom, you're, you're going to love this and we'll get back on track. The only time yeah. that Siskel has really shined as a real star to me is if you go back and you watch the Siskel and Ebert on Patch Adams, where fucking Siskel is dying of cancer. I know. And he just basically is like, this patronizing motherfucking movie, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And that's, no, I know. that's a moment where Siskel shines. Yeah. So He's anyway. He's personally incensed. Um, yeah. yeah, let's not get too Star Trek. Peter Falk. No. I think this is uh, uh, this is this is this is a cornerstone of the film. I mean, again, I would have not much interest if it wasn't Peter Falk. If it was like I don't know John Saxon or something, you know. Ooh, so no. uh, yeah. wasn't it Falk supposed has, to be Paul Newman at first? Yes. I'd, I'd, I'd read well, that. I'm sure that was like a wish list thing, you know. Like, I don't know, because, Lars. <laughs> we wrote it for Paul Newman. He never saw the script. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I never, I never read that. Film. I I I haven't seen that. So I've, I've read all the contemporaneous interviews, but I've never read that. But Peter Falk, you were, I, I like where you were going with this, Evan, which was like pet moments because uh, you kind of took mine, you know, the whole candy bar incident, you know. Sorry. Um, and he's a little bit, he's a little bit comically magical or something like that. Like so, uh, somebody mentioned just now, like you hit it with a bat and you get all the cigarettes you want. You know, it's like he has this um, sort of like cartoonish streetwise thing. Uh, like in the middle he's of really nowhere in the Rust Belt. His, his character, just like into overdrive, yeah. right? Like Yeah, just... exactly. And I will say this one thing. I like sort of, again, the, the sort of the, the pop culture cartoonish version of maybe someone like a Bukowski. And what I'm getting at is sort of this like blue collar intellectual kind of thing. I like those renderings in films. So I like where he's, you know, he could be like a cab driver playing Puccini, you know, that kind of thing. Like, so <laughs> I, I, I respond to that always. My grandfather <laughs> was a little yeah. like that. And so I, I do, I actually wish there was more of that. Clifford he has gets, this, no, he has this like blue collar idiosyncratic kind of like vibe about him that, that it's actually kind of well captured in the Sopranos, you know, just this kind of idea of, I don't know. He really inhabits that. I don't know where do Peter Falk is from. Well, just like, you know, in terms of like watching The Sopranos, like it's not it's funny because of these guys are inhabiting this kind of stereotype so well, you know, and he is he he is that same vibe where I don't think he's intentionally being funny all the time. But he just he just is inhabiting this kind of idiosyncratic, I don't know, mindset to me that is so so electrifying. It's so electrifying yeah. to watch him just kind of like I don't know, play with shit and, and pontificate, and you know, it's great. Yeah, yeah it's his, like a guy his, in the subway. Life sto- his whole life story is in, is there, like in the way that he's you know, right? Uh, ask for ask for it, waits for his change back. Or That's whatever. what I'm saying. Like, right. yes. All that kind of stuff. Well, yes. he's also uh, uh, to speak to that. Um, one of the character traits that I guess the screenwriter and and that, and that uh, you know Falk worked on was like he's a frustrated artist. And I kind of appreciated that, you know, it's like, um, hey, I'm, 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 I'm maybe in another life I could have been, you know, like a great actor or like a film director or a painter. But uh, I'm going to kind of exercise my creative, um, you know, uh, will and uh, talent through, you know, having the girls 
you know, wear those outfits and have all these kids get a couple bucks and start singing. You know, like he has this um, this creative ambition. It's actually funny. He doesn't quite have the ambition of like, uh, I want to, you know, retire and live on an island and just be rich. So I, 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 th- I, I like his his ambition, which is a creative fulfillment. Am I getting that right? That, that seems to yeah. be the most driving thing for him is he put on a beautiful show with the girl. Which is, which is, which is why this is like Aldrich's testament, you know? Mm. This, is, this is the testament of this guy who was a filmmaker who kind of did it his own way, and this mm. is his sort of last will and testament, you know? That thought, what Falk does here is what Aldrich did. You know, uh, he, put yeah. on, he put on a wonderful show. He went, to, he went down to MGM and he put on a wonderful show. I mean, it's all kind of right there for me. And I see that whole subtext there. And I admire this man so much. I, I, I admire Aldrich so much through his failures, through his films that don't work. And this is, you know, one of those. Uh, but through all these films that do work, uh, like I really yeah. admire this man through his life struggle where he turned down literally billions, you know, because he loved this so much. I see all of mm. that. I see Peter Falk as Aldrich, you know, as I mean, I don't think that that's Aldrich. a huge stretch. Wow. Yeah. Like I just like the film a little more. <laughs> <laughs> that was Lars's goal. That was that. that, that. It's like going up. All right, all, I like of, this. all of that because because I had you know I had just read all this stuff about Aldrich. Uh, all of that stuff was present when I first watched this film. So that reading was was there Tell us about for, that. with me the whole time. Tell us about just like your 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 personal connection to this movie. Why was this a suggestion? You know that I I guess picked for you <laughs> that i might have made to you that i probably made to you when i was just like really in a, in a dark place uh, because <laughs> no because because nobody's gonna watch this um uh <laughs> this, this episode it's perverse i mean it's maybe really they might because of my star power you know yeah they will but, oh they um, will they yeah, probably yeah. probably um, yeah I, I i was aware of this film when it came out um because i remember seeing I don't remember. I remember seeing it in the HBO guide. I remember seeing it mm-hmm. um, like at Playboy Sex and Cinema, you know, mm-hmm. um, that there were like stills from this film. And there's a lot of like, stills oh. from this movie that are uh, that have that are out there. There's a lot of professional yeah, yeah. It, it, photo shoot yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, oh, this this looks like a, I would watch this film as a, you know, as a whatever I was, you know, 10 year old uh, when it was on HBO. So um, but uh I never really, I, ne- I never watched it. Never really considered like going back and watching it, even as much as I love Aldrich. But then my boss Richard Linklater, of all people, um, he and I do a series called Jewels in the Wasteland. Sometimes, and these oh. are films. These are kind of rediscovered films from the '80s. Films from the '80s that you know never really became part of the zeitgeist exactly. But let's go back and watch. You know, um, I don't know, Cutter's Way or something. You know, to, be, to choose like one of the more well-known ones. Um, right. and watch those films and kind of we will watch them and we'll digest them on stage together through a discussion and he had sent me like a whole list of films that he was interested in showing and I did the research to find out if we could find prints of this stuff and uh-huh. All the Marbles was one of those films and it kind of stuck with me like All the Marbles really oh. that movie that piece of shit looking movie uh, and then <laughs> I watched it and you know I, I mean I had a different reaction than you know many of the panel here because I really loved it because I, I saw that reading that I just gave that whole Aldrich reading mm-hmm. I saw you know I, yeah. I tracked that the whole time and because I'm tracking it the whole time I'm getting more meaning because I'm tracking the subtext from the beginning you know um, I appreciate and, that I'm seeing that through you I, I had yeah. none of that uh, Aldrich is a blank for me I don't know 
which way with him. So uh, to hear all that is uh, that's so I'd, often. The, I'd almost the watch case. it again. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's so often the case that the story behind the movie you know, yeah. enriches the film. You know, like totally. yeah, that's, that's true. That's half a lot of the things we cover are like that these days, right? So you have but, to have that. But but there are some like little grace notes in this that I really appreciate that I want to be sure that we cover before our, our time is up. And um, these two, Marcus, you mentioned you, you mentioned one of them. You mentioned the uh, like all the um, second unit stuff, like the driving stuff. That to me is hugely important for the film. Yeah. Um, because like those towns, those sh- unbelievably depressing, shitty towns, like Youngstown, Ohio, or wherever, like those. Uh, towns are like a character in this like we're looking at that and going okay here are these brown towns with smoke billowing <laughs> out of them you know and then here are these like beautiful women i mean those yeah. actresses are gorgeous women <laughs> these beautiful yeah, fresh daisies of women you know well, they're california dolls supposedly yeah, yeah right so, right but i'm saying they're so which, out of place which, which know, i actually, doubt the, i i think no, they're I, from, I, th- I think they're from hartford connecticut or something you know i don't totally know you know, no, no, no. It's just a moniker. But, you know, there's one really nice moment to speak to what you're saying. Uh, Vicky, her character, the brunette uh, gal, um, they go by, they're in the middle of a conversation in the car and they go, oh, they're talking about how they're, they're bitching and complaining about the work and like, oh, we don't make any money doing this, you know, tag team wrestling. And then they they happen to drive right by what looks like hell on earth, like a like a right. what is it <laughs> smelting? What is that smelting? What's that term? Yeah, smelting, smelting plant. Smelting. Like a smelting plant. But like she's like, man, we could be working there, and it just looks like an open like hell wound on earth, like of just belching flames. And uh, ling- he lingers on that, and I was like, that's nice. And I was like, you know what this film is for me a lot? Hey, can I have more of that? Can I have more of that? You know, like, can I have more Falk idiosyncrasy? Can I have more of the Rust Belt stuff? Side note, uh, no, I know. I just, can I have more of that? You know, Mm -hmm. so um, uh, one thing, you know, it's just about the same time, uh, the fabulous stains, they're going through the same roads. And Mm -hmm. I really responded to that uh, in this film because it's such, it adds so much character to that film because it's a really Mm -hmm. underused. A, you know, in that time, 1981, like, what does the rest of America look like in 1981? You know what I mean? It's like, uh, we're not in L.A., we're not in New York. Like, can we just go anywhere else? And, uh, you know, and the, and the focal point is almost like in this film, it's like Chicago, you know, which, you know, that happened a little bit uh, because of uh, Belushi and SNL connections, and stuff like that. Continental Divide, shout out. But um, I, I really responded to that. That's something that I really appreciated in the film. And I thought that it was shot really well. And it's interesting to hear this, what is this, you say his daughter shot the second and unit? That's what thing? I read is that Aldrich's daughter shot second units. I'm just assuming that that was the biggest right. second unit. How about I the Wendy the, the scene? wrestling and stuff too. But oh. That's really dope. How about that Wendy? I, I rewound it. I was like, I'm getting every ounce of this. Smoking Wendy's. cigarettes and Wendy's and shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Wendy's. Yeah. 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 Like, it's amazing. Yeah. And that, and hey, that is trap. That is on the wrestling road, my friend, oh. is a Wendy's. Oh. Every wrestling road oh, has got a Wendy's. Just one final point in that, like the scenery, all that Toledo stuff, like that really grounds Peter Falk's cartoonishness too, like because he is like he is of that world, and it makes him because he dove his like voice and persona, working class, all that dovetails so nicely with that scenery. You know, it does ground him in the reality because otherwise, at home there, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I fucked up by the way. Yeah, I was just gonna say I fucked up by the way. He says three musketeer. He doesn't even say Three Musketeers. It's Three Musketeers. You bring me a snicker. You bring me a snicker. You bring me a Three Musketeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like those, those smokestacks that are—it's like those are like these Moloch 
type hell that is consuming souls like him, you mm -hmm. know, consuming these kinds mm -hmm. of souls just with every second, you know, like five, five Peter Fox a second being consumed in those well, smokes. It, it, if right. I can, too, there's something going on that's it, I think I'm going up half a notch right now with this observation. One of the things it does that I respond to a lot in films is the dichotomy between hard, ugly reality, which is what most people are living through day to day. Um, you know, like the car that you drive by where the, the windows busted out and they're just using like a garbage, uh, you know, a garbage bag to cover the broken window, that kind of thing. And uh, so that kind of reality is very well established in the film. But what else is the film? Uh, a lot of it is fantastical, unreal show business. Mm -hmm. And I like that dichotomy. And I think there's another point that, not maybe not a point that Aldrich is making, but he seems to be very comfortable existing and having those two chafe against each other. And I really responded to that. And all I'm really saying, in essence, is just, hey, this is where their audience lives and works. They eat at Wendy's, they, they smelt all day, and they just <laughs> want to see some girls beat each other up. And I think that that was a good call on his part to paint that picture of the environment because that's where the audience is. You know what I mean? Um, just because time is running short... Uh Lars, are there any big other grace notes you wanted to get in? I did want to touch a little bit on Mildred Burke before we're we're over. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. I, I wanted to I wanted to talk uh, about the final match because I think that like you're seeing, I mean, just in terms of the kinetic work there, in terms of the directionality, in terms of the shooting, the multiple cameras shooting, the direction of that, it really is a masterwork of direction of a wrestling match. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, it's so hard to make, um, as you know, uh, Evan, from producing stuff, it's like so hard to make something where you can tell what's going on and totally. who's over here and who's over here. What's the point of view and everything to do that with two two tag teams of two women and then two managers and then no. a referee who's like a total wild card. And then the guy who's tipping off the referee and all of that. And then like. Peter, and then, you know, the people that Peter Falk has staged throughout, it's like you've got all these points of view. You've got all these people to keep up with. And then it's it's got to feel kinetic and not staged and not like somebody just said, OK, action. You know, it's got to feel like it's going on the whole time. And I think it's just so masterfully done. I think all the matches are really well filmed. Oh, but that man. last match, yeah. because there's so much going on. And it's I, not just yeah. that the stakes are high or whatever. It's like there's it is such a masterpiece of filmmaking and editing you know and yeah. acting and all of the whole thing yeah and 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 for me all it's the marbles like, it, like yeah uh, i also think anytime like professional wrestling is shot on 35 millimeter or it just it looks so awesome because you rarely see it you know on film you know in that way with the handheld you know 35 millimeter stuff i even love the way the first opening match looks too in that arena i think it looks fucking awesome it looks so authentic yeah. it is such a great I job both those moments felt like i spent the most money on the shoots like at those two scenes it feels like top and bottom the yeah and like and <clears throat> is sufficiently pays off you know like i felt like when that end kicks in i felt like okay i'm really glad i sat through this and i don't know if you showed it at if you said you showed this at afs or not lars but I, I, there was I'm, no print there was no print so i did oh uh, i felt like wow. i wanted to see it in a theater because like i would mm. love to see like hear those the music really loud and to see them come be the big reveal of those costumes and stuff with the star filter and I bet that would feel really good in the theater. To like oh, that totally. Moment, you know? Totally. And, and um, as you guys know, and you make you make this point, Marcus, I'm sorry, I know you want to get to this, but real quick. Um, yeah. uh, so when you spend a lot of time shooting one type scene, you get to spend less time shooting other kinds of scenes. So I would say that some of the sort of like ah, basic lighting, uh, the basic sort of studio sets yeah. probably comes down to 
sacrifice. saving some time here. This is yeah. your. This is your. Uh, this is your right. Yeah, sacrifice. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you were talking about the wrestling, the ending wrestling matches, and just you know, obviously, all, I think all the wrestling in this movie is of pretty high quality, you know, and that's uh, largely in part because of Mildred Burke. And I just wanted to give a special, quick, quick shout out to her because she was the person credited at the end of the film as the wrestling consultant or whatever. Um, she was the first female star of wrestling. Period. And she's a fascinating character. She could be worth her own biopic. Someone should do it. I don't know. I'll fucking do it. But basically, uh, she was a big marquee star back in the 30s and 40s. One of the biggest box office draws ever in wrestling at that time. You know, um, and she was plucked out of Kansas, uh, you know, way back in the day by a promoter named Billy Wolf. She was like this poor, you know, woman, but had an incredible athletic background and she wanted to be somebody someday. So Billy Wolf was this horrible, one of the most vile promoters you can possibly imagine. You know, the guy, he was just a sick, horrible person. But anyway, he wound up marrying Mildred Burke. So they were together for uh, a very long time. And he was very abusive towards her. He was cheating on her with all the other women wrestlers because he basically had a stable of women wrestlers. But she had this in insane thing happen to her where towards the end of her career, and this kind of echoes with some of the themes of the movie, is that she never wanted to give up the women's championship because she had it. She was the women's champion for a very long time. And she never wanted to give up the belt because she knew that if she did she would be aged out immediately and that would be the end of her career and that would be completely over. So back in those days, we were talking about how you had to go into business for yourself. She was somebody who consistently would be defending her belt for real all the time because people were really trying to get it off of her to you know get the next generation going. But you had to actually fucking beat her, which you could never do. And the crazy thing is that her husband, who was the promoter, wanted to he was sleeping with some other younger female wrestler and he wanted to put the belt on her and so she went through fucking hell because her own husband uh like beat her up in a parking lot to try and get her to like to not fucking um to, to like just give up the belt give up the belt and he beat her up in a parking yeah. lot yeah and she didn't do it and then they put they actually like that match actually happened where it was her versus the person that her husband is cheating on her with you know and it was apparently like an hour long match that was completely boring Jesus. totally off script and she was just fighting her way through this match to not give up the belt you know even though the script told her that she was supposed to so she's this legendary um very complex interesting character in wrestling history and the fact that she lent all of this, you know, I'm sure real hard-edged credibility to this production is just really fascinating to see her name there because, yeah, she's a legend as far as women's wrestling. I mean, she is where it all kind of, you know, goes back to for women's wrestling. So pretty fast. I mean, I skipped over a bunch of fascinating shit, but she's a fascinating character. Wow. Yeah, it's so good, so good. Yeah. So anyway, um, go ahead, Mark. We're shouting out people. Just like this is so random, but like I was sort of curious about Big Mama. You know, I, mean, I was boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, like this, away, she's like this Fellini. She's like this Fellini esque, like totally. uh, you know, actress. Like, where did she come from? I, I looked up her name. And was like, oh, she did three other things, playing you know, large woman or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's incre she's incredible. And she's like. And she's got like she's like junk. <laughs> she's like get rid of this light beer bring me a real beer and that's when you know she's really enjoying oh, it you yeah. know it's so it's awesome in the Chong movie yeah big, okay. that's uh 
dedicated to her this episode. It looked like she was like in, you know, like a bunch of like Night Court, Hill Street Blues, Murder She Wrote, stuff like that. Like always playing like a big female heavy. Yeah, she's know? amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. In this. And then and then Richard Jekyll, who plays the referee, uh he he went way back with uh Robert Aldridge to the fifties, you know, to his first movies. So the, those are guys who work together. He's great playing this crooked referee at the end. Oh, the 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 fucking henchman from The Godfather. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, Luca Luca Brasi. Oh, yeah, Luca Brasi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't an actor, but a real strong man for the mob. So there's authenticity there. And then Burt Young from, oh, you know, yeah. good old uh, from Rocky. Always great to see him, even in you know Uncle Joe Shannon, which was you know his <laughs> uh, his big vehicle. We're gonna do that someday, by the way. If we're doing this class, film, it, we're doing. Says, uh, says, if I wanted class, I would have gotten the Bronte sisters. Right. <laughs> uh, so it was a pleasure to see him pop up. Um, well, uh, uh, what's that? Get- what's that? What's that candy bar line? Uh, uh, you got my three musketeers. My my three musketeers. Um, but. Uh, yes. Oh, what about the Ursatz hustle? <laughs> they play the they, they have that that joke about the, the hustle song, and they do like oh yeah, and the right. car starts hustling. <laughs> Priceless. All right, that's Bing. It. Ding, 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 ding. The bell goes off. Little uh, little wobbly finish there, but that was um, <laughs> one fucking hour on all the marbles, man. Hey, we did it. Um, and uh, yeah. there's shit left on the table for sure on that still. So. And that's always the case when you have just one hour to get. Not, to a, not a lot, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Really? I thought you were loaded for bear. So Did an hour is about right. I, I brought it. I brought I, that was a that was a bear load that I brought. Okay, you did. You so did. this is a perfect one fucking hour movie. Like yeah. Just, there you go. Uh, like, do you feel like you've emptied the bag? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could talk about the same stuff over and over again, but you know, I mean, it's not a super complicated. It's not a really complicated movie, you know. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not Tarkovsky or something. <laughs> there was a point, like in the in the pod, when Ooh. I was like, we've been t- we talked about everything. I thought I looked up, and there's still 35 minutes left. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit! I don't know. We did. We made it. Stuff. We made it. No, there Hulk, is. There is. Just Hulk and Aldrich alone. Just you know, that's the thing. Yeah. And yeah. just re- the sport of wrestling and yeah. No, and and and. I like our new habit of doing like the kind of Monday morning Monday morning quarterbacking of our podcast we just yeah. recorded. What are we doing? But I, I like the um, I actually why really they, why do we start doing that? you know um, Robert Aldrich is a really fascinating uh, you know person yeah. in, in Hollywood history. I mean he's really I'm glad you you sort of corrected my ass on that too because you know um, fucking um, uh, the the film noir movie uh, help me out uh, kiss, kiss me deadly kiss me thank deadly. you very much uh, kiss me deadly man is fucking awesome and it is ripe for a yeah. one fucking hour you know for sure sure and yeah, um, it's a it's a killer movie and um, I, I actually just watched it uh, again like just a few months back so it's so perverse it is so perverse it really is it's just like yeah. it's like what, what sense of humor did this come did this sense of humor land on a meteorite or something because like yeah. there's there's almost nothing that you can kind of compare it to. It feels um, like an EC like comic. Later stuff. Yeah. Like later yeah, stuff. Not, not for, but, not but even like EC comics, like even EC comics would have much more of like kind of a basic rooting in like morality. <laughs> it is so amoral. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's true. Um, but uh, anyway, Lars, man, so good to have you finally on the show. Great to have we've been you. we've been talking about this for a long time, and I'm and I'm actually kind of glad we like picked something super fucking weird oh. and deep cut. It's perfect because this yeah. movie. You know yeah. what? Oh yeah. 
this movie is very Lars and, 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 you know, to me in a lot of ways, it's like of the Lars time period, you know, to me, it just kind of has that sort of like something you can just kind of, I don't know. Lars movies you can kind of just slide into, I feel like. You know, like it's just I mean I, remember, just, I, remember, I wasn't surprised. When... I wasn't surprised to hear the title. Right. You know? Yeah. Like Lars, yeah, he sure listed all the marbles. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a very like like, like anything surprised. like <laughs> anything released on video disc is gonna be a Lars film and any, or any any record on eight track, I feel like is gonna and be a lot of times just something that's overlooked uh, and, and not you know ripe for reevaluation in some perverse you know way, some mechanical way. Like, well, I'm gonna look at it because it's overlooked. But just um, just well, what, what was the name of the sh- thing that you, you guys do? Uh, you and Linklater, what's the name of the series? Uh, Jewel, Jewels in the Wasteland. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. there it is. And I'm not and surprised. Like, that there's, the there's whole lists of like the things that we did for Jewels in the Wasteland. It's like, I mean, we've done like probably. 25 or 30 movies God, in that cool. series and there's like uh Pope of Greenwich Village and just stuff that like a lot of people oh. had never seen or never heard of you know took my thumb dude yeah. but these days uh, no one's seen anything but uh, I know what you're saying oh my god Pope of Greenwich Village man I could do a fucking hour on I that know. when you guys, well, we love Eric have, you guys have you guys seen I, I did a commentary for this so like I'm pretty biased I love this movie have you seen Coca-Cola Kid yeah yeah we should. Let's, uh, that would Makaveev, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that is a that is a fucked it's movie. Awesome. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys ought to do it for one fucking. Hour. I like it's it's probably. I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. In my experience, people don't get it. You know, people don't really see the humor, and they're just like, I didn't understand what that was. Why was Coca Cola so prominent in that or whatever? But like, yeah. I, I I think it's brilliant. But I I have a sick sense of humor, so I mean, yeah. For, for me, like for me, like all the marbles is really funny. Uh, so it's my sense of humor that that is, yeah. responds to that and saying right. Coca Cola kid. You know? Right, uh, Lars. Is there a like letterboxed link for all of the jewels in the wasteland uh, or something that I could toss yeah, in the description? Yeah, I think I made a I think I made a jewels in the wasteland list cool. at some point. People Love to see that. I'm sure I have it in my list. I'll, uh, Marcus, I, I you know you made a lot of good points during this, but I didn't really understand if you liked the movie or not. Uh, you know, it's better than sticking a pencil in your eye. <laughs> Come on! So, no, no, I, I, I think that I, uh, I think at first I, I was felt similarly to Tom. You know, like I didn't yeah. have that much to say about it, and but I was open to, I was open to it going in, and I think that uh, I, my appreciation of it rose a lot, and I think the insight into Aldrich's life and stuff, and I, and a lot of the yeah. craft that we talked about stuff, so it really um, expanded my appreciation of it. So I'd say too that I went into this actual podcast. Not really caring so much about the movie. I wanted to do tonight really badly and do this film with you right. and talk to you about this movie. But I was not so hot in the film, but I'm going out of it, and I think like I think I'm going to say like I really do like this movie now. So oh, yeah, there you go. It, it See, happen. It did. It's, there we go. You kind of called that beforehand, hand, though. You're like I think. I think We're going to convert Marcus. We're going to turn Marcus tonight. Yeah. Marcus. We flip Marcus. We flip Marcus. Um, all right. And I'm Before, exactly where I was, but. Those two tiny, <laughs> like like fought for notches, but that's notches, you know. But but it also um, went down to not commensurate notches in some other no. department. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know. No, it's yeah, no. Yeah. I can tell. I, think, I can tell. I think the bottom line is, and I'm I'm a fool for this. By the way, we're still talking about the movie. We're, I know this is a legal cool. action no, no. here. We have a guest. It's exciting. But yeah. the last thing I'll say is, I am a fool because what I love are, are damaged films. 
Uh, and this is a damaged film. And I didn't even think of it that way. I, meaning I thought it was a more controlled, composed project where like everyone was kind of more or less satisfied, like, like going go. into it and getting out of it. That's a but huge I'm realizing, difference. Yeah. Right. And so I'm realizing, like you were saying, that what happened was Lars mentioning that like, you know, they put all their marbles into like the, the, the wrestling matches more and they were just like half-assing on like, you know, going down the alleyway with the tough guys, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, because they got to prioritize and like, it was born a little weird. And, you know, so many films that I love are born a little wrong. You know, that, like, that alleyway that alleyway thing was a, clearly like a reshoot, too. It was like, we got to have more. Producer like, note. We yeah. got oh, to right. feel more like we're on his side. We got to feel more like we're right. right with the Guys, struggle, you know. Hey, I got Peter, a referee. Peter, Peter where's that bat? You need that I gotta, bat. I got I to referee yeah, we are, this. We are this is, really badly double dipping here. So we are. Stop. We are. This is bad behavior. All right. Anyway, <laughs> Lars, you gotta encouraged. Yeah, this is not good. We are uh, not living up to our oath. Um, all right. Anyway, special guest uh, clause. Well, okay. Yeah, the special big, guest. The big question that's left is: Can we do this again sometime? Will Lars come back? And uh, Ooh. I vote no. Again? He's never going. <laughs> <laughs> Only if we do Coca Cola. That's an inside joke. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll put it this way: If you want to come back. You always get to pick the film without any uh, uh, thumbs up or down from uh, us. Yes. I like that. That's fun. You got, you got carte like blanche. You just, just yeah, go, you got we're, the... guess what we're doing? Shpunk, and we can't say anything. We're mute. We're on mute, you know, on your picks. <laughs> oh, there you're on mute. mute. Oh, well, I had to shut down Lars, so. Um, <laughs> What's happening? I don't know. I think Lars is on mute. You're on mute, bro. <laughs> <laughs> He said, "I'll come. I'd be happy to come back." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Evan's looking really nice tonight. I like this floral background. All right, um, guys. While Lars is muted and cannot talk, this is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about next week, which does not involve <laughs> Lars. So let's um, discuss what we will be doing um, <laughs> for the next. Disconcerting. This is. It's very <laughs> surreal and upsetting. Um, yeah. <laughs> Give me my three musketeer over here. All right. Um, so, <laughs> guys, next week, one next fucking week. hour. Let's talk about it. Uh, Tom. What are we doing? Okay. We are. No, this is a kind of. This is special because, you know, when we started one fucking hour, we did a little dry run, a little test, a little one fucking hour. Uh, a, a demo reel. De- demo reel to see if this ex- wacky experiment called one fucking hour would work. And the title that we actually picked, the film we picked for this, is the movie we're going to redo officially now uh, for our 34th episode, which will be one fucking hour on Some Kind of Monster. Yes, that's right. The 2000, what is this? 2003-ish? Four. Four. (laughs) Documentary about Metallica in therapy trying to record the worst album of all time and so we not are even in uh, their career not just no. their worst <laughs> album yeah the same anger just like takes the cake with everything all the marbles yeah. so, um, we're not just gonna yeah, we're, we're, doing it. we're not just gonna release the lost episode number no number zero as number no, no one's gonna see that because it no, went very badly very bad but uh <laughs> even worse than what we do now it's <laughs> but uh yeah we're doing um it's one hour saint anger Cringy new haircuts, new bass player cringe. Should uh, we get new uh, haircuts for that episode? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Twiggy, Twiggy Ramirez cameo. It's gonna be rough, dude. Yeah, it's gonna be real fucking rough. Because evidently, all the kids are talking about Metallica this week because of that's right. Things. 
That's right. So we so thought join the conversation. So we thought we'd squash that enthusiasm real fucking hard uh, with a look at <clears throat> some Metallica cringe. Uh, and it's actually, you know what? Some kind of monster is some top shelf cringe. And um, it's pretty great. It so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Well, the film is valid. It's yes. just what it's documenting is uh, pretty rough. Of course. Yes. Lots of Lars. So, lots of the other Lars. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Lars. <laughs> yeah. He's like, fuck you. Yeah, good Lars um, that we're having bad Lars. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, everybody. So get your pre-watch in uh, one fucking hour on some kind of monster, uh, the making of whatever St. Anger. And uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I don't, I think the hour is going to be rough on that one, but it's going to be fun. And uh, everybody have a great rest of your week. Lars, thanks again for coming on. Uh, fucking Thank all you, the man. marbles. Thanks. Yeah, it was beautiful. Really a pleasure. Uh, but really we cannot stuff. we cannot let our, our, our faithful audience go, no, 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 without their parting gift, their parting moment of zen. Uh, all right, everybody, enjoy that, and we'll see you next time. All right, everybody. Bye. 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 You'll do that. I'll show you. I'll show you. This is an overmatch right off here, I want to tell you. I'm attacking you? This is what we call a half a full Nelson in wrestling. That's a full Nelson. Oh, I love it. Oh, more, more. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. That's very sweet. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Mm-hmm.